This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. You know, you're an absolute delight. Um, you're a dream group of people to, to minister to because nothing's getting thrown back at me. Now, I've become not oversensitized to that, um, but used to audiences, even Pentecostal audiences, a challenge coming from God, and they bounce it back. No, I don't want that. They throw, and I feel it. It doesn't put me off. But I, stuff is being pulled out of me here. <laughs> you people are like um, uh, godly sponges. Just give me more. <coughs> because you're going to you're use it. Now, <coughs> pardon me. Oh, by the way, <coughs> Christian, thank you for this. <coughs> <coughs> <laughs> oh, my. Bigger reward. But, but what is good, too? But thank you for this. I appreciate that. <clears throat> There's only been one other church in the world where this has happened. There was a congregational church in Wimbledon. Congregational, like Episcopalian. <clears throat> Wimbledon, London. 1981, ministered there. And my wife and I shared, in tandem with that congregation, I mean, a lot of high-profile people. High court judges with friends in the House of Lords, top section of Parliament, that sort of thing. And um, we didn't know their status. We just ministered in the Spirit to them. And within 20 minutes, things came undone. The Holy Spirit began to move. We didn't know they had been praying and praying for months for God to pour out His Spirit on their church. Within 20 minutes, it was like a battlefield. People were lying everywhere under the power of the Holy Spirit, under the chairs, well, under the pews. And elderly people in their 80s, waving their hands in the, in the air, all speaking in tongues. Now, don't see that very often. Well, <clears throat> uh, I came back the following year to do a mission, Holy Spirit mission through that church to southwest London. It was remarkable because they had done their homework. They called up all their high-profile friends, come to this meeting, get here, I command you, I'm a Supreme Court judge. And... Uh, People came. Now, there was a young fellow. Uh, he was, I think, from Zambia in the church. And he walked up because I'd made just a little allusion to orange juice. He walked up dressed in a tuxedo with an orange juice in a glass on a tray. And I said, no, I don't take this wrong. Because I'm thinking, I'm from South Africa at that stage, and I despise apartheid. I made a suggestion, and a, a young black man in a tuxedo <laughs> brought me orange juice on a tray. <laughs> well, apart from the great blessing in that church, it set a precedent. That church kept serving me orange juice every time I came to minister there. Other preachers came along, why don't I just get water and you get orange juice? <laughs> oh, bless you, Christian. There's a... A wonderful reward for your understanding. Because that wasn't even a hint, but you responded to it. And God bless you with a great abundance. I want to say something to Jim and Donna at the back there. He had a lovely peak cap on, and it was Jackie Stewart that I was talking about, that Scottish Formula One racing driver. And as I said that to you, something quickened in me that I waited to say this publicly. You two are going to move faster than Jackie Stewart in the things of the Spirit. 
because of your appreciation for God, your love for Him, and, and your desire for more, especially in older, not old, older age, wiser age, you have a firmer grasp on these things, and God is going to use you to impact a lot of people, and it's going to spread like a nuclear reaction through people's lives so fast. People say, how can that happen with just one couple's ministry? That's the Holy Spirit. And what you're going to plant into people's lives is going to grow tremendously, speed growth. And uh, the fruit is going to bless people long distance, far off, uh, and uh, in a higher level. Uh, I think it's going to take long before the Lord takes you to heaven. You're going to see a lot of the results for this. And I'd like to hear about that. Uh, if you pick up my news bulletin and, and send me an email every now and again, say, I blame you. This is happening. We're, we're running to catch up. <laughs> Jackie Stewart, eat your heart out. <laughs> now, there's also somebody here, and I don't know who you are, <clears throat> and it rather puzzled me because <clears throat> I don't often get implants from the Holy Spirit like this. <clears throat> somebody here who embarked on a project for God that was right, so right, and it would eventually have far-reaching consequences, but suddenly everything has come to a dead stop. <clears throat> and you are thinking... And others are thinking, you heard wrongly. The, you ran ahead too prematurely. And that's what you're thinking. Well, nothing's happening. It's just come to a dead stop. We got everything ready. We started moving. But stop. Like it's in limbo. And God wants you to know you are right where he wants you to be. You have done all the preparation and you started moving. That's what he wants you to do. Get mobile. But he's busy setting up circumstances and people, structures, scaffolding in place. Because people, other people that he wants involved are dragging the heels a little bit. Okay, he'll bypass them and get others in if they delay. But he's saying to you, take this time as a respite where you're gathering your reserves, preparing, and put your antenna out to God and say, look, what else do you want me to put in place? So that when the, the starter's gun fires again, we can just get going the way everything's been put into place. Now, God's saying to you, you're right on. Right in the place you should be. Nothing's wrong. Don't think of quitting. Don't think of quitting because there's too much to follow. And it might take ages to get the structures back in place again if God has to go find someone else. You're the choice person. <clears throat> and God is bringing others around you, trustworthy people. So stand ready to move again. <clears throat> and, uh, gee, I'd like to hear about that. That, uh, that sounds very exciting. Now, it's not that I'm inquisitive or I'm prying. I just have that mindset. I want to know where this is going. <clears throat> I want to pray with you and, and, um, and uh, put some power, prayer power behind that project. And uh, so if you're disposed to, get my email address and look, you'll find me anywhere in the world within six hours and I'll respond because I'm a fanatical communicator. <laughs> <clears throat> now... <clears throat> I'm going to, uh, oh, by the way, I forgot this morning in the excitement of giving to you what the Holy Spirit had, mentioning that I've got DVDs outside there, actually rather well produced, uh, far better than I have done in the past. Because some years ago, I did a project with Pastor Rodney Howard Brown in Tampa, uh, together with Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard and I had worked together three different times before in South Africa and Germany, and what happened was, <clears throat> look, you've heard of Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, haven't you? <clears throat> I met him when he was 18. And 
He was a very large young 18-year-old, <clears throat> a very loud young 18-year-old, and it was a Youth for Christ context where for five years in a row I'd been invited <clears throat> to coach this Youth for Christ team that differed every year because young people gave a year of their lives. It's called the Y1 program. One year of their lives to serve the Lord throughout southern and central Africa in little choreographed teams <clears throat> that were sent out under a leader. And that, this was part of their three months basic training. My portfolio was to teach them how to use the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which was unusual for Youth for Christ because they were very Baptist orientated conservative, but also on the ball with made soul winning. <clears throat> so I was brought in to uh, teach for the release of the Holy Spirit through them and the operation of the gifts. Well, Rodney exploded at the back. He came from a Pentecostal church in East London, um, where Dr. Leon came from as well. <clears throat> and he was shouting and screaming amens and hallelujahs at the back, very unbaptist. And uh, well, he, I had the PA system and he was louder than me. So I got to know him, and well, years later, he said something exploded in me from the old Pentecostal mindset I grew up with. All of this, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts have to be kept within the church. He said, you taught us how to take it out of the church to the world and arrest the world with the power of the Holy Spirit, like they did in the early pages of the book of Acts. <clears throat> so that was my relationship with Rodney. So he asked me to come to this convention which was running eight days, Sunday to Sunday, calling all evangelists, calling all evangelists, personal and public, anyone who wants to learn. Reinhardt was the keynote speaker, and I was a minor speaker. And he said, just prepare four sessions. Oh, that was easy. Well, Reinhardt dropped the bombshell the first Sunday morning. He said, I have to be somewhere else tomorrow morning, Rodney. Uh, I can do today's two meetings, and then I'm off later tonight. And Rodney said, you can't. You build, you advertise, people are coming to hear you. And Reinhardt turned to him, he said, David, you and I have done this before, you take over. And nobody argues with Reinhardt. <laughs> Suddenly, I had 14 sessions to prepare instead of four. So I got rather humorously with the Lord that night, and I said, Lord, <clears throat> I think you organized this, but you didn't tell me. Now, let's strike an agreement that whatever anointing you're going to put on Reinhardt, you're going to put on me. And he did. It was so easy. It was hilarious. I mean, I could have stood up and read a recipe and given an altar call, and the Holy Spirit would have got released. Now, now I never tried that. I'm not going to be that sacrilegious. But it was that easy. And they filmed everything professionally with five or six cameras phasing in and out in a control room where they spliced it all together. And at the end of the week... Pastor Rodney said, look, you know what it's like in this part of the world, not like this here. He said, in a few months' time, the next roadshow will come along and you'll be forgotten. So take the master copies and reproduce them, sell them, and, and use the funds to support your orphanages. <clears throat> so I said all that to excite you and also to tell you that's the quality of these things. Um, always abound in your service for God. I want somebody here who is dissatisfied with the mediocre service you found yourself being given, giving to God lately, and you want to excel. Anyone in that category, I want to give this to you. All right, man. You had, Rob, would you mind taking to that lovely lady there?
Thank you. You're going to love the stories in that one. <clears throat> now, I do want to give this one <clears throat> to somebody who's been, you've been nagging the Lord for a long time. God, show me the ministry you've got for me. What's my special ministry? Now, everyone has a ministry. As your pastors have told you, we have a ministry of reconciliation, helping people to be reconciled to God through Christ. But do you want to know with your talents and abilities what special ministry? This is called recognizing and conducting your ministry. And you're going to love that. That was the form of an interview that a young guy <clears throat> did as part of a movie-making university course that he did. He needed to do a project that was critted and, and assessed for marks um, uh, of, of an unusual context. That somebody he thought had been reasonably successful could have been even a politician and do an interview. Well, this young guy, <clears throat> his name was Caleb, he gave me a list of 10 questions he prepared. He said, sit down and give me 10 answers and he turned the camera on. <laughs> and that was the result. It just it was wonderful the way it worked out. And the basic was, how did you perceive from God what your ministry was? How did you prepare and how did you move into it? So I hope that helps you. Um, <clears throat> always abounding in your service for God. Now, I think that was the one I gave you, wasn't it? All right, here's a second one to give away. All right, so she beat you by a knuckle. Sorry. That lady back there. Thank you, Rob. <clears throat> now, so this is for somebody here who's really trying to let their light shine, but people are trying to put it out. <laughs> people are trying to subdue you, and you're getting rather frustrated because you're bursting to let your light shine, and the darkness around you has receded, but not as much as you want to. I want to give this to someone who's having a battle like that. It's called Let Your Light Shine. All right. Do you, do you know each other? We're married. Okay, you can share it. <laughs> We're married. It's like often uh, my wife's buying something from a counter, and I'm sort of lurking in the background. They said, are you next in the line? I said, no, we're together. And my wife says, very much together. Okay. <clears throat> um, uh, so, uh, this is for somebody who finds maybe that life is moving too fast for you at the moment. <laughs> and you are battling to keep up the pace, whatever the circumstances, especially with your Christian life. You find yourself running, but not everything you want is running with you. <laughs> it's called running your race to win. Run, and there's lots of sporting stories. And there's parallels that will actually help you to understand why things are moving at the pace they are in your life. Okay, that's for you. You're going to love that one. <laughs> and, uh, oh, come on. This is something very close to my heart. I did part of this yesterday. And uh, a lot of you weren't here, but you obviously had a good reason for not being here, and I don't want you to miss out. That's why I'm making these DVDs available, because there's much more there than I was able to cover in four sessions yesterday. Winning your family to Christ. All right, a hand went up at the back. And you've been helping me with those DVDs, so that's for you, winning your family. It's very personal, and I've never heard it from anyone else. What I did, I tried to assess why I was successful in leading my family to Christ. It wasn't without turbulence and trouble. But basically, God was wanting to change me as a young Christian and let my family see real, in real life what God could do with a young life. And God got my family. 
And that story comes out there. It's, uh, you'll find I get choked up very often in that, but just excuse it. It wasn't the fault with the camera or the recording. <clears throat> um, and, uh, well, I don't want to incriminate anyone here, but <clears throat> could be that you could, you, you could be beating yourself up a little bit because you've been disobedient in your witness. You've had numerous opportunities, but you backed away. You held back. And you're carrying a bit of condemnation. Think, oh, maybe God can't trust me anymore. Now, that's wrong attitude because God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances all the time. You're learning a lesson not to miss those opportunities. And this is called how to be obedient when you don't feel like being obedient. <laughs> be an obedient witness at all times where you get that quickening to witness to somebody before you can even think about disobeying. Just jump in and do it. This is a All right, sir, that's for you. Thanks for your honesty. <laughs> and then the last one, maybe a colleague at work. A colleague at work has uh, <clears throat> opened their heart to you and you just don't know how to approach them. And you see them five days a week. And how do I reach this person? They've opened their heart, but I don't want to abuse the situation and let others think that I'm pressurizing them because they're vulnerable. How to reach your friends. That's different from reaching your family because you're not living with the person, but they've opened their heart to you, given you an opportunity because they've seen something in you that they want. Reaching your friends for Christ. Who'd like this one? Oh, well, I tell you what, there's quite a few on the table. Man behind you at the back got his arm up first, but you can have one as well. You can have one as well. Take it from the table afterwards. And, folk, please avail yourselves of those DVDs. You'll help a a lot of little children. And please do take uh, some of the paperwork I left on the table. There's a couple of latest news bulletins of what happens in our ministry. My purpose for these and the um, ones just advertising ahead of what I'll be doing in the next couple of months are for your prayers. I crave your prayers because prayer brings the victory. Prayer tears down barriers that are closing nations. And prayer opens people's hearts. I'd love you to be part of the... <clears throat> The, the, the shaft of a spear, because I'm just a little tip maybe in the front. I need the thrust of your prayers to get me into those places. Appreciate that. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> I'm dedicating this to everyone here, the older people to start with. Note I said older, never old. Old is a terrible mentality. We get cranky and bitter and full of regrets. I meet those sort of men at the World Masters Games. And all they got at these days and it's degenerating, is the sport they were once involved in 40, 50, 60 years ago. And I see those elderly, uh, that old mentalities, and I don't like it. And I, I'm bent on reaching those guys for Christ and helping to change that. But this is for the older people who are thinking you're getting out of date, and you're getting left behind, and maybe you should take a back seat. Oh, no, no, no. The theme of the, tonight is never too late. It's never too late. To even embark on those things that you think you've overlooked, put them aside, and they've disappeared into a misty past. Because God still has you um, ready to do these things, and possibly only you can do them. And this is for the younger generation. You're going to see the challenges to you, because one day you will be older. <clears throat> you will be, and you'll remember the statement, when you pass 50, when you pass 60, when you pass 70, the oldest 
athlete I have encountered is a 107-year-old Russian swimmer at the Sydney World Masters Games. <clears throat> I'll tell you the story because this is prophetic for some here. He won seven gold medals because he was the only one in his races. And they asked him, Vladimir, he came from country Russia, took him about four flights to get to Australia, and that's tiring. And they said, Vladimir, would you please swim in the younger generation's races in the, the people in their 90s? Because we're oversubscribed. We don't have time for your races. He said, I paid my money. I traveled here. I'm swimming in my age bracket. So they had to let him. Well, at his seventh medal ceremony, they put a microphone in his hand and said, tell us the secret of your longevity. Lovely smile on his face. His English wasn't bad. And he said, some reasons for my longevity. <clears throat> Not in any special order. He said, I keep busy. I, today, I am looking after my great, 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 great grandchildren because some of my kids were not wise with their health. They died in their 80s. <laughs> and he said, uh, I look after our family orchards because every Slavic family, no matter where, Eastern Europe, through Russia, they have a little patch of ground or a big patch of ground where they grow apples, beetroot, potatoes, um, cucumbers, Beetroot and potatoes actually supply the vodka industry. And that vodka is rot gut. It's only good for putting in the fuel tank of your car to clean the engine. <laughs> I've seen some do that. Um, then he said, uh, I keep up my friendships. He said, friendships are so important, especially when you're down and discouraged. And you can encourage somebody else up. He said, I don't have anyone my age as friends anymore. They've all gone. He said, I'm not frightened of young friendships as I know Jim and Donna aren't, because you welcome me as your friend. <laughs> I'm not much younger. <laughs> anyway, um, he said, maybe those youngsters can learn something from me, and maybe uh, they can energize me. And then he shocked everyone, because we're all thinking this guy's he must be communist. He said, 99 years ago, when I was eight years of age, I embraced Jesus Christ into my life. And we were stunned. I looked around at about 300 mainly Australians with their mouths open. He said, and you have no idea how difficult it's been for the last 99 years with the changes in Russia from Marxism, Leninism, through uh, the Nazi regime, through the uh, Stalinism era, to be a follower of Jesus. And he said, I know one day very soon, very soon, I will go to sleep at night and wake up in heaven and I'll see my Jesus face to face. And you could see the glee on his face. And he said, looking at some of you, he said, you're not in good shape. He said, some of you have your one foot in the grave and the other one's on a banana skin. And he said, you need to make a decision for Jesus soon because life can be snatched away like that. And he said, look, you've only got a couple of years. You've got nothing to waste. And he proceeded to give an altar call and tell people how to be saved. And then he stopped and he said, I really do want to see you people in heaven do this today. Thank you very much. And 300 people just burst into applause. Some of them clapping. Why are we clapping for this fellow? And I'm thinking, my Lord, that man earned that platform. I want it. I want that platform. I want to be swimming when I'm 100, 110, 120. Just think of all the gold medals I have to bring home for people to polish. But so think of the platform. The platform that you earn in older age. 
And I'm saying to you young people, grab your platforms now. If you want to keep that through each decade, keep that platform because it will get higher and higher and you'll reach a lot more people, more far distance if your light is shining from a higher level. All right. It's never too late. <clears throat> in spite of the wasted years, in spite of procrastinating, or people subduing you and saying, it's not time, you can't launch out yet, keep your mouth shut, the wrong place to witness, don't listen to people like that anymore. Uh, I think you've heard it before. People said, well, I'm 40, the best years of my life are gone. Oh, rubbish. You've only started to get some wisdom <laughs> and work out how clever you were to get this far with God's help, and now you can use that cleverness on through the future. Now, let me talk to you about some people you're going to recognize um, who only came to importance well on in life. Colonel Sanders. Did you know that Colonel Harlan David Sanders was a lawyer? Kentucky Fried Chicken, he was a lawyer. And he got disbarred from the court because on two occasions he beat up his own client in court when his client changed course, gave the wrong testimony, didn't like Sanders' advice. So they barred him from the courts. <laughs> and he started uh, the Southern Fried Chicken selling from a little booth. Anyone been to the little shrine or national monument on his property? It's, it's, it's like a, a glorified little booth, a bit smaller than Graceland. Where, where he started selling chicken. You come from Louisville Airport heading out on the highway to uh, Lexington, Kentucky. You pass this on the right-hand side. It was in the Great Depression. And he started selling it, but he ended up giving most of his chicken meals away to poor, starving people. Maybe that was when God noticed him, when he started giving stuff away. And he started his first KFC uh, restaurant at 62 and he recognized the franchising um, uh, potential. <clears throat> and he died in uh, the 1980, I think, at the age of 90. A legend. Started at older age. Anyone heard of Albert Schweitzer? Now, the older generation, will it? Born 1875, French-German theologian, organist, philosopher, physician, author, and a really good preacher. And... Um, he received the Nobel Peace Prize at 77 years of age in 1952. And you know what he did with the money? He had a heart for West Africa. And he built a hospital in Gabon that today is named the Albert Schweitzer Memorial Hospital. He devoted the rest of his life and funds to saving hundreds of thousands of lives and getting the gospel to them. Great things to do in older age. How about our friend Caleb, Joshua's mate? At 85, Joshua 14. Caleb said to Joshua, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old. And in other words, Joshua, you were 40 as well. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent us from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. And now I am this day 85 years of age. Now, the next statement could have been a bit of a figment of his imagination, but I like his faith. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me out at 40. My strength is now as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. I admire the guy just for saying that. <laughs> so now give me this hill country, of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard that day how the Anakim, the giants, were there with great fortified cities. It may be 
that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And he did. Anyone here 85 and over? No. You've still got some fruitful years ahead. <clears throat> if you've got a project that seems like they're giants tackling it. My first trip to Israel. <clears throat> I'm being asked to come to Israel fairly regularly to lecture in the Messianic synagogues. Synagogues that are reading the New Testament. And it's not illegal because it's written mostly by Jews. So as far as the authority is concerned, it's, it's a good textbook. <laughs> and people start taking note of the life and ministry of the greatest Jew who ever lived. Yeshua from Nazareth, Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> I'm getting invited as a chaplain from the Olympics to come and lecture in the synagogues. And the teenagers turn up just to listen to me and show up. They, they're bored. They go out and watch a DVD rather than sitting in, in the Shabbat meeting. <clears throat> Some of them can be fairly boring. And there was a situation, oh, back about four or five years ago, at the main one in Tel Aviv, border of Tel Aviv and Jaffa, called the Beit Emanuel Congregation, the House of Emmanuel. <clears throat> and uh, about 25 teenagers sitting over in the corner. And I stopped in the middle of my presentation, had everyone's interest, about 300 people, and I said to those teenagers, I want to compliment you, really compliment you for your attention and for being here, because I understand you don't normally come into this meeting. And they nodded. There was a tall red-headed boy, he seemed to be the sort of pack leader. And I said, that red-headed boy, what's, what's your average age then? He looked around, he said, 18. I said, that's interesting. I said, when I was 18, I believed on your Messiah. What have you guys done about it? And this boy looked around, looked at his friends, shrugged his shoulders and got up, followed by 17 of his friends and stood in the front. I knew the meeting was over. The rabbi was interpreting for me. David Lazarus is his name. And he said, what's going on? I said, just stay with me. He was interpreting in Hebrew and we had people from Russia, Ethiopia, Jewish people, listening on headphones to translations. <clears throat> and... I said to Daniel, I had a prophetic word for Daniel. I said, Daniel, I said, you've come a long way. I don't know where you've come from, but you've come a long way where you were victimized because you were a Jew. And I said, you came here with great hope and you've found you've come to a war zone. And all your thoughts of destiny have been smashed. And you're thinking, God, why did you do this to me? And you're about to quit your family faith. Don't. Because God has you in the right place at the right time. You're going to be part of the solution to overcome this war situation. And he looked across my shoulder and he said, Hey, Dad, that's not fair. You told him about me. His dad, Pedro, had just become the assistant rabbi. And he yelled back. I mean, there's no church protocol there. They just yell at each other. And he said, Hey, Daniel, that's not fair because I haven't met the man yet. So Daniel looked at me. He said, Are you a Bible prophet? I said, No. I'm just a follower of Yeshua that operates in prophecy. Oh. He said, Do you have a word for my mate here? Little, little runt of a guy. And I said, yes, I do. And I said, you've got such a big heart. You're full of compassion. And he burst into tears. How do you know that? I said, God just revealed it to me. And I said, God is going to use that compassion as a platform to release healing from your life to hurting people, wounded people, crippled people. And he said, how did you know that? Because <laughs> that's what he'd been praying. God, I'm sick and tired of seeing people hurting. I want to be a channel for healing. And he wasn't even saved. Well, 
I said to David Lazarus, that's the end of interpretation. I said, is there anyone here sitting on the fence? That's uncomfortable. You've been watching your colleagues here, how they've embraced Hamashiach Yeshua. And they've endeavored to, to follow him. And you're watching them with a little bit of skepticism, thinking you're defecting from the faith. I said, no, they have become completed Jews. They have embraced the greatest Jew who ever lived and is still alive. And they're following in his footsteps. And that's your destiny. I said, you recognize that? Would you like to come up the front? Ended up 55 people up the front, all with their hands raised. And David Lazarus says, that's not cool for these people to do that. And he forgot he had the microphone on. He said, are you free tomorrow night? I said, yes. Come and teach us how to do that. Well, of course, half the congregation heard that and turned up too because there was a free meal being offered too. <laughs> you know, just wonderful things like this happening. And I'm talking about the situation. The older people in that meeting were galvanized. They turned up to learn how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and operate in the gifts. That congregation has taken off now. A friend of mine from Moscow is now the senior rabbi. His name is Alexei Reichstad, bodybuilder. All the young people relate to him. And um, actually, if you're ever going to Israel, make a point when you're going to Jaffa, pop in at the Beit Emmanuel. It's in Adenauer. You know the German chancellor, Adenauer of the past? Adenauer Street, just on the border of Jaffa and, uh, and Tel Aviv. And go and visit the people there. You will be pleasantly surprised how galvanized they are in the Holy Spirit. Friday night, 7 o'clock, great meeting. <clears throat> anyway, uh, why, why am I advertising Israel here? Is anyone planning to go? I guess you are now. And it's not as dangerous as you think. I've been invited to come and address the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, because I do seminars for NATO in Eastern Europe, Latvia, and Ukraine, where troops are trained from 12 nations to front up to the Russian army. A lot of activity on the border of Eastern Europe and the, Rus the Russian Red Army. And I was given this portfolio three, seven and a half years ago by the Brigadier General of NATO. He gave me two mandates. He said, so you've been coming to this part of the world often. We've noticed you. Because no, that, this knowledge doesn't escape people. And <clears throat> he said, would you come and do seminars for my troops? Military, Navy, Air Force, Military, Police, National Guard. He said... <clears throat> We've just had a batch back from Afghanistan. This was seven years ago. They are shattered. Wounded, maimed, lost limbs, some of them in caskets. 40% of the marriages are dissolving. He said, please, come and prepare my troops for eternity. You know what I mean. I said, yes. He said, you can give any type of invitation you like. If there's any complaints, send them to me. Oh, he's as tough as nails, but he's a born-again Christian. <clears throat> and he said, please, if you can, help solve the problems with these dissolving marriages and the problems with the teenage kids, career soldiers forgetting about their families. I've spoken to 35,000 troops in the last seven years. And now, piggybacking on that, the military high schools dotted all through Eastern Europe preparing young people who want real class education and enter a military career for, for 20 years where they'll come out with a degree or something like that. And I'm thinking, wow, here I'm 73 years of age, and I'm loving what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I've said to some of the commanders, why me? I know there are younger guys that you could call on with more talented than me. They said, listen, sir, this is not about talent or skill. It's about trust. 
And we've heard you support our orphans, therefore we trust you. I never thought, 24 years ago, supporting two orphanages has grown to 52 orphanages, now nearly six, just over 6,000 children, that it would piggyback on <coughs> reaching the troops. And really, I nearly said no. Now I'm telling you this because this is going to confront some of you. You're going to get an opportunity to think, I don't need this at this time. If, if I didn't have so much pressure and commitment, I could do this. I would suggest you do it. Take the offer that's being presented to you because it's come from God. And you can sort out, delegate authority into those other projects to people you trust. And that will free you up to deal with this major thing coming up. That's what I've had to do. Put batons in other people's hands. That's freed me up. To, uh, I don't know how many thousands I've led to Jesus amongst the military. And these guys stand to their feet to attention to pray and receive Christ. One military high school, they all stood up to pray too quickly. <laughs> and I said, please sit down again. I said, especially you guys at the back, you 18-year-olds, you stood up far too quickly. You don't have to stand up and pray with me just because your friend stood up next to you. And one very articulate Russian boy at the back in English said, Sir, we've heard about this a few times, and this is the first opportunity we've had to receive Jesus. We want to be saved. His kids want to be saved, not telling him to sit down. <laughs> well, how did I get off onto that? Talking about these Jewish people who are feisty. I mean, Caleb and Joshua. I just love that. How about what was written by a 67-year-old Apostle Paul, <clears throat> writing his last epistle? He says, not that I have already achieved or am already mature, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. In other words, after 35 years of ministry, he's saying, I want to know why Jesus arrested me the way he did on that road into Damascus in Syria 35 years ago. Gosh, if he hasn't found out yet, what chance do we have? I believe what he was saying was, my destiny is not arriving at an end point. It's keeping on going in the right direction. That's destiny. Brethren, I don't count myself to have arrived, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Like an athlete, pressing down the track to the finishing tape. Two years before, at 65, he writes, I've become all things to all men, all people, that by all means I may save some. For I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. How many of you know that when you get to a certain age, you love your comfort zones? And any changes produce stress. <laughs> Are you younger guys? When your plans are changed and your mindset has to shift, you get stressed. You get annoyed. I do. Because um, that's a good definition of stress. The body and the mind's reaction to change. <laughs> Paul had such a pharisaical, disciplined mind. But look at the way he's saying at 65, I'm flowing with the changes. Because I want to win as many people to Christ as possible. That's a good reason to change. Just a little tip for us. God's word for you then, <clears throat> Galatians 6. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. There is a reward. Christian, 
there is a reward. I'm not going to let you go on that, mate. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is never in vain in the Lord. So, please don't quit. Don't ever think of quitting. It might pass before your sight, but don't quit. Because you will carry regret and condemn yourself for the rest of your life. Why did I make that decision? All right, if you've done this in the past, God is wonderful at forgiving, cleansing it out of the way, and giving you another chance. But there could come a crucial time down the road where there is nobody else but you for God to use. Don't quit. I almost dread standing before the Lord and finding I've missed an opportunity deliberately and there was nobody there. And souls went to a lost, wasted eternity because I wasn't in the place. Now, I'm not going to be condemnatory and say God is limited. But if I'm going to make a mistake, that's the policy I've developed. If I'm going to make a mistake, it's doing too much rather than too little. I think I'll drive my wife crazy. <laughs> but she manages to keep up with me. So, if you do quit, here's a double knockout. You knock yourself out, and you also knock out those who are watching you. You better believe there are people watching you who admire you for what you're doing. Insignificant you, that you're thinking. People are still watching you, non-believers. Newer Christians are watching you. I want you to watch this little movie clip. It's called a double knockout. All right, guys, you're going to want to see this. I don't know. I've never seen this. I've seen it in movies, and I didn't believe it. So let me set this up before probably you've already seen it, but just in case. Here it is. It happened in Indianapolis. It happened at the 8-second saloon. We've been there before for live fighting action. Tyler Bryan and Sean Parker, and, well, you got to see it to believe it. Because when I first heard about it, boss, I said, I don't believe it. Here it is. Watch and watch closely because it ends... In spectacular fashion. No. Boom. You know, I had the same I, in Look Holland. That. Is that amazing? Same thing with right straights I saw. And then in Holland we also had one. Look, look at this. Look, look at this. this. Boof. Oh my god. Unreal. Wow. And whoever gets up first, I guess, if it's within 10 seconds. That, that's right. And they're both gone. I mean, they knocked each other out. One more look at this. Bang. Oh, my That actually happens more often than you think. Because you get two young guys, little kids, learning cage fighting, kickboxing, and with the same trainer. They learn the same opening moves. Then they grow up and move out elsewhere and make a name for themselves. And when they meet up, they've still got the same opening moves. Now, this is a very hot, look, I don't know, this is not good pulpit material, but this is true. This is a highly sensitive nerve area, a box for 10 years. And um, you start getting punched here. It's, it sort of weakens, sometimes disconnects the nervous system to the knees. And you get rubber knees and you just collapse. That's what happened to these two guys. Actually, the rule is the first one up wins, but they both stayed down. <laughs> I mean, this is a funny situation, but this is tantamount to what happens when you decide to quit. You knock yourself out and you knock others out too. Remember this funny movie clip when you're thinking of quitting. All right, whatever you do, don't quit saying, well, I'm just ordinary and untalented, just like a vessel of clay. I'm not a decorated vessel like some. Well, then look at this verse. 
we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay might be very ordinary jars, but what really matters is what's in them. It's not the jar. It's what's in them. The all-surpassing power of God. Now, what does God's power surpass? Well, for you, every negative thing and force that can hold you back. The power in you surpasses that. Appropriated for that, by the way, Paul advised young Timothy. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, timidity, apprehension, nervousness, a spirit of power, love, and a sound disciplined mind. Therefore, don't be ashamed of your testimony of Christ. There's a motivator. Now, <clears throat> never too late to encourage someone to Jesus. <clears throat> I put this map up because the bottom right-hand corner you have Orlando. And near the top, south of the lake, you have Chicago. <clears throat> and I was on a flight a few years ago. I'm sure you guys have heard that. Overland heard it. Um, sat down. Actually, it was free upgrade to first class. And I said, oh, God, I could get used to this. <clears throat> but it was for a purpose, not for my comfort. I was placed next to the window, second row, and a big, strong, older man, late 70s, sat down next to me, greeted, grunted with me, and made it very clear he didn't want to talk. When he pulled out a briefcase, he had some legal papers, and I saw his name on it. Let's call him Samuel. And he proceeded to make notes and scribble and sign letters. I thought, oh, well. I wrenched out of the seat in front, pulled out my laptop, and I began to collate a little presentation. It was just after the Beijing Olympics, 2008, where Carl Lewis asked me to become head of his chaplaincy team. I asked him if he was going to pay, and he said, don't stretch the friendship, pay for yourself. So I did. But it was a great victory. Uh, I started putting pictures together, me and the athletes, etc., for an appointment I had just south of Chicago that night. And then I spliced in some pictures of the orphans and a couple of movie clips. And about 20 minutes into this, there's a nudge on my elbow. This man said, I can't stand it any longer. What do you do for a living? <laughs> the power of this little screen is fantastic. And I said to him, well, sir, call me Samuel. Okay. I'm a chaplain for athletes at the Olympics and the Paralympics. Why? I said, because I enjoy helping people with their problems. Why? Well, to see their lives profitable, especially idiots amongst the top athletes who shoot themselves in both feet and wreck their marriages and alienate their children. He said, does that happen? I said, you bet. I said, I guarantee you handle legal cases like that. Oh. What else do you do? Well, I'm a director of a charity. Oh, that's where the orphans come in. How many orphans do you support? Where do you get the money from? Then he finally said, are you a preacher? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, maybe you can solve a problem I have. <laughs> he said, Two weeks ago, my seven-year-old granddaughter came to me and said, Grandpa, I'm very worried about something. He said, what's wrong, honey? She said, I have Jesus in my heart, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. I know you don't have Jesus in your heart, and I'm going to miss you terribly. Only a seven-year-old granddaughter could get, get away with that. And he said, gee, I, I got worried. And he said, I offended her. I just fobbed her off. And uh, I said... You know what? You knew? I'm thinking, God, I'm going to lead this guy to Jesus in the next 20 minutes. And the Holy Spirit said to me, no, you're not. The granddaughter's going to lead him to Jesus. 
Oh, I could go along with that. So I said, Samuel, this is what you should do. When you get back to Orlando, take your granddaughter out for a meal and apologize to her. And say, sweetie, will you lead me to Jesus? She'll know what to pray. I said, she, she remembers how she invited Jesus into her heart. He said, okay, where do I go from there? He wanted to know what follows on. I said, you need to grow in some Bible knowledge. He said, I've got a little bit of that. Where'd you get it? He said, same Presbyterian Sunday school, 70 years ago, <laughs> where she, 60 years ago, where she'd going. I said, why don't you go to Sunday school with her? Don't embarrass her by going into a class, but sit at the back and listen and learn. I did that the first two years of my Christian experience. 18, 19 years of age, I had zero Bible knowledge. Now, I know you won't need to do that in this church, but in a lot of churches, you get more out of Sunday school than you will out of Sunday sermons. He emailed me four months later, and he said, she led me to Jesus. Just wanted to tell you that. And I'm going to Sunday school, and she's so thrilled. Walking in with Grandpa. Grandpa, you sit at the back, and you sit and learn. He said, I'm growing, Dave. He said, thank you for doing that. <laughs> Somebody, he's probably in, well into his 80s, if he's still alive. But in heaven, his granddaughter's going to see him again. Now, <clears throat> let me show you, just as I run this down, some young people that nobody ever gave any thought to, any possibility of hope for any sort of future. This is on the southeastern corner of Latvia on the border with Lithuania, Belarus, and Russia. An old Jewish city called Dag of Pils that Hitler tried to destroy, he couldn't. And in that orphanage are 180 severely handicapped children. Disadvantage. <clears throat> Politicians would go there just to have photographs taken with those kids just before elections to put on their profiles, making promises they'll never keep. Found out about them during the, the London Olympics in 2012. The last thing I wanted was another orphanage while I was involved in those Olympics. But I said to my manager, take them on board, find out what their needs are. I said, I've done that already, Dave, because I know what you're going to ask me. And prices, I've researched them in Germany, Poland, and even some across the border in Russia where we can get some good deals. I said, delivery? Delivery free of charge. I said, get it done. Well, when they turned up, with the, the goods, the staff just burst into tears. At last, there's people who keep their promises. Now, God had something in mind. Because those kids, with their needs met, actually their biggest need was something like 2,000 diapers a week. Because a lot of them are incontinent. Just a fact of life. And um, their level of confidence has grown. Their mental skills are phenomenal, a lot of them. But they're physically handicapped. They have got a level of confidence now where they're using IT because they've been introduced to computer programming courses and they're making their mark. Because come 18, they've got to leave the orphanage and make their mark in the world. They're going to be prepared for it. I'm expecting great things from these kids. This is my manager's wife, northwestern Ukraine, a town called Zhitomir, where uh, the Chernobyl radiation zone ends just north of that city. <clears throat> um, Victor is his name. Her name is Alla, A-L-L-A. Very creative. She's an artist. And one day she decided to take her art equipment into the orphanage to give these children some recreational fun. She put up easels, taught them how to apply paint to paper. Now, the girl standing right at the back, she's severely handicapped. She has no fingers. She has ten stumps. Now, what they did is threw paint, pastel 
onto paper and made a mess. Three hours, there was more on the floor and on their clothes than on the paper. And when they went back to whatever they were doing, happy as larks, Alla looked at those paintings and she said, I'm going to try something. She got some frames, framed the pictures, and took them to the Kiev markets the following Saturday. That's the capital city, the open markets. She sold those five paintings at quite high prices. Every two weeks, for the last four and a half years, those kids' paintings have sold. And they are the only children at this point out of 6,000 children who are generating funds for the orphanage. <laughs> I tell you, I got a weapon with the politicians now when they said, you're wasting your time. I know I'm not. I got the blessing you missed. These kids are productive. I said, suck it up. Anyway, this young girl, Madara, <clears throat> she is a beautiful kid, very handicapped, um, from her waist down, it was a birth injury where the nerves were damaged in the lower back, she paralyzed through the legs. <clears throat> she got saved, as far as I know, around about 10 or 11 years of age. And she started witnessing from her wheelchair. And then one particular time, uh, a girl came to her, one of her colleagues who was desperately sick. Madara took her hands and prayed for her, and within a day the girl was healed. She was made well. It was startling. The orphanage doctor said, this is beyond medicine. Ever since then, Madara has had a healing ministry from a wheelchair. Now, that bothered me because here is a kid in a wheelchair praying for healing. She's got the capacity of healing in her. Why doesn't she get healed? And I had a good argument with God about that. But God had other plans. We found a surgeon in St. Petersburg, just four or five hours away by train, across the Latvian border with Russia, who does surgeries like this. He found out about Madara. We put her with one of the orphanage staff, sent her to St. Petersburg. He said... Probably five surgeries over two years. I'll fix this. It turned out two surgeries, and he fixed a price of $10,000. I warned him, don't increase it, because I know people who would find him. <laughs> he said, you can't threaten me. But um, Madara is now walking, all right, with the help of a walker. She's not out of the woods yet, but she's still exercising her ministry of healing. Now, I'm looking at this, and I'm getting the thoughts. Here's a little Catherine Coleman. In the making, God help her to stay on track. And when she gets all her faculties, don't let her walk away from it. You're going to hear that name, Madara. The doctor took her, because she had such remarkable progress, to the Russian National Television Station in St. Petersburg, where the, the, the whole of Western Russia heard her story and heard her testimony of Jesus and Jesus' saving and healing power. That was God's plan. Now, in Ukraine... <clears throat> Kids left at home, this goes back 20 years ago, <coughs> left home because their mothers didn't know who their fathers were. Their mothers were running brothels, allowing the perverts to rape the kids for extra money for the mother's drug habits. And these kids got together in little bands, very hurting. Two young boys, now I'm going to be blunt with you on this because it's the real, re reality of it, got to 18 and I realized they were starting to date because they came out of the drains, under the sewers, into our homeless kids' center, into church. And God began to clean the drugs out of their lives. And um, one was Sergei and the other one was Vova. They both needed surgery to their extremities because they'd been damaged by the perverts. And they were very nervous about dating and thinking of marriage. So we offered them surgery. They were frightened. But we got an elderly surgeon to fix up the damage. Both of them are married today. <laughs> well, 
That does my heart good. We directed 255 of these kids into a Russian Pentecostal church that couldn't handle them. <laughs> they, were asked, they were asked to leave. They were kicked out of the church. So we rented a hall, <laughs> paying $100 a month for the last seven years, and these kids have been growing in Christ. They are awesome witnesses for Christ, ministering God's healing power. They've they they got nothing to lose, no reputation to lose. They just step out in faith, and they sing miracles. I mean, they're just overflowing with testimonies. I've got to listen to them more than I get a chance to talk. It's just brilliant. And, of course, the brain-damaged baby orphanages. We saw support four of these kids where, for example, a young mother, single girl, delivers a baby in a park, realizes it's deformed, throws it in a trash can. And a passerby going shopping or going to work, hears the kid squalling, picks it up, wraps it in newspaper from the trash can, takes it to the police station. No paperwork, no birth certificate, just straight into the orphanage. They give it a name. And these kids are growing up, of course, there's so many of them, they need 5,000 diapers a week. We got a special deal with a diaper manufacturer in Norway. Oh, third price, half price deal, good deal. I didn't know that Pampers come in so many sizes. I was embarrassed in that supermarket asking questions. How long ago since you had kids? Decades. <laughs> but these are these precious little kids. Well, I picked up one of the little boys and I looked into his eyes and I said, God, you could have taken this child to heaven when it was born, but you chose to leave it here. You don't make mistakes, God, and you don't make junk. And that's what I'm saying to you. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make junk. When he created you, it was for a purpose. And I said, I want to help this kid and the others fulfill their purpose. <laughs> well, it was bigger than I thought, but we're making it. And uh, I'm looking forward in my lifetime to see what God does with these lives. Now, I'm going to move quickly through this because I've told you about it already. Piggyback on this has come all the seminars to the military and the Navy and the Air Force. And now in Ukraine. Ukrainian forces asked me to come and minister to them who are kicking the Russian rebel army out of eastern Ukraine. It's working. They've turned the tide, not without a lot of violence. And these guys were bleeding in the meeting. The commander said to me, don't uh, be disturbed if some of my men are in pain and they get up because I see the blood seeping through the bandages from grenade uh, shrapnel injuries. And they had to go out and have the bandage removed and treated again. And they, they come back in again. Mercifully for them, I cut my seminar short. But um, this is a military high school where most of these boys, 13 to 18, lost their fathers, some of them their mothers too, in eastern Ukraine against the Russian rebel army. Remember, this is the Russian rebel army that shot that plane out of the sky, the Malaysian airline. They were, they, they were just crazy brutes because Putin disowns them. He's the one who financed them. But he thought they'd take over eastern Ukraine and call it the Republic of Donetsk. They failed. Now, they're treating me like a psychologist. I have a PhD degree, but it's not in psychology. It's uh, in humanities. And my thesis was the relief of poverty and suffering from young people who have emerged from a post-communist or post-war suppression situation. I just quoted all my experiences. and <laughs> To my surprise, I passed. But... Uh, they, they asked me to come and talk to them. How about this question? So what would you advise us to do if the Russian rebel army surrenders? 
And I said, well, you could lead them to Christ and kill them all. <laughs> they said, are you serious? I said, no. <laughs> I said, what about leading them to Christ and putting them in work camps and let them repair eastern Ukraine that they have devastated? They said, what a good idea. They might want to become useful citizens after that. And the scribes were taking it down. I mean, my little quips could have become a national political rule. I don't know. But these are the opportunities I'm getting. Then the local state high school said, what about us? I said, you never asked. So I'm ministering to these state high schools and now the basketball teams. Where's this going? Let me finish with this one. This was 1994. <clears throat> my th second year visiting Eastern Europe. This lady, Alexandra, came to me with her little granddaughter. She's a widow. She pointed an iron hard finger in my chest. It hurt. And she said, you are responsible, David. I said, what for? What for? She said, you led me to Jesus last year. You got me filled with Holy Spirit. Anyone speak Russian here? Oh, it's such a cute language. Very descriptive. And she said, now my duties. In the Slavic culture, duties for widows are strange. In other words, they've got to serve a period of years, their children and grandchildren, and they're free to remarry, travel, do whatever they like, whatever their resources. She said, I've done all my duties. I'm going to travel across Eastern Europe and through Russia, devastating the kingdom of darkness. I'm going to rob the devil of people from his kingdom and increase God's kingdom. Twenty-odd years later, she is still traveling, and I hear of her in Vladivostok, in Siberia, the other side of Russia. The pastors don't let her in. But she puts them to shame with her zeal for evangelism. But she leads people to Jesus. And she finds local churches that will be good enough to treat these people with respect. I never thought that would happen. Now, <clears throat> I think what I'm going to do is I need to find possibly another little movie clip. Now, who's heard of Amira Villachagen here? The little Dutch girl, nine years of age. Oh, you haven't? Well, this is a treat. A young person given a chance. She's not professional. She entered Holland's, Holland's Got Talent because her little brother, Vincent, played the violin. And on Queen's birthday, all the Dutch people go to their community centers to put together a concert, a recording of their choirs, their musical and singing presentations, and it centers a video to the Queen. They love their Queen. And that's the way they honor her. Well, watch what this little girl did. Hello. Amira Willighagen, zeg ik dat goed? Ja. Hoe oud ben jij? Ik ben negen jaar. Zo. En wat ga je doen? Ik ga een liedje zingen. En is dat zomaar een liedje of is dat iets bijzonders? Nou, eigenlijk is het een opera-liedje. Een opera? Ja. Oh. Hoezo ben jij opera gaan zingen? Nou, het begon met Koninginnedag. Mijn broer Vincent, die speelt viool. Ja. En ik wou ook graag iets doen. Dus ik, wou, ik dacht van, ik ga maar wat zingen. Ik zoekte op YouTube een liedje. En toen hoorde ik 
opa-liedjes. Die vond ja. ik heel erg mooi. Ja. En toen ben ik die gaan zingen. En ja. Wauw, wat bijzonder. Ja, hier. Ja, dat is, ik had echt eerder verwacht dat je iets van K3 zou gaan doen of zo. Maar dat vind je niks. Nee. <laughs> hey, welk liedje ga je zingen? Een liedje Omeo Bambino Caro. Omeo wow. Bambino Caro. <laughs> nou, Amira, ja? ik ben zo nieuwsgierig hoe dit klinkt. Moet, heb ik oordopjes nodig of kan het zo veilig? Uh, hè? Het is veilig. Het is veilig. Dus, uh. Heel goed. <laughs> Take it away. Ga je gang. Mira Willighagen, negen jaar oud, staat hier. Ben je oh. echt wel negen? Ja. Jeetje. Uh, Amira, ze zeggen wel eens dat oude zielen voortleven in mensen. En als ik jou hoor zingen, dan heb jij bijna de bezieling van een Maria Callas... die er helaas niet meer is. Maar jouw stem is zo puur en zo mooi. Maar ik vind het ook zo bijzonder dat voor een meisje van jouw leeftijd... dat je dit doet. Dat is toch ongelooflijk? Ik wil ook zo'n dochter. Ja. Wie heeft jou zo leren zingen? Heb jij een zangdocent? Nee, ik heb geen zangles. 
Dus dat leer je jezelf aan. Je gaat dat luisteren en dan zing je mee en dan op een gegeven moment kun je het. Oh, ongelooflijk. En wat is jouw droom? Later wil ik heel graag zangeres worden, maar als dat niet lukt of zo, dan wil ik ook graag meedoen met het Olympische Spelen met atletiek. Oh, het zijn twee kleine dingetjes. Well, I'm curious if, if you've ever performed on a stage like this before, in front ooit, of an audience this big. Heb je ooit eerder opgetreden voor het publiek? Eh, uh, niet voor zo'n groot publiek. <laughs> maar wat goed van je, echt. En dan zo zonder zenuwen, hè, Dan? Uh, she's incredible. I mean, I say yes. Definitely <laughs> yes. Chantal. Dikke vette ja. Wat wij hebben in Holland's Got Talent, net als vorig jaar, is de Golden Ticket. Voor jou. Ze zit gewoon in de live show. Sowieso in de live show. She's now 13. She was asked by André Rieu, the Dutch orchestra conductor with the Johann Strauss Orchestra, to sing before 10,000 people at the open-air Maastricht concert in southeastern Holland the following year. I watched her just recently on YouTube singing with a famous Italian tenor, tenor O Solomio. And she's kept her naivety, her purity, her innocence. She's going places. They have a sweet Christian family. And the kid just took a chance. Just took a chance. It might work out, might not. In her memoirs, she says, I was hoping I wouldn't make a mistake, make a mistake and it would be a big flop. <laughs> I want to use that as an example to encourage you all. There might be something coming up. Whatever age you're at, and you've got to take a chance on it. Come on, just do it. Because you'll look back if you don't and think, I wish I had. It could open up doors, huge doors, where you get big audiences who will listen to you talk about Jesus. You know what I'm going to ask you to do? Can you all come up the front? I want to close off in a couple of minutes just doing this. All come up the front. I want to pray over you. You can come closer. I don't shout and I don't spit. <clears throat> I'd like you all in a nice anointed huddle here, please. <clears throat> I do believe the Holy Spirit is doing something very special in this church. He's been preparing you for some time. And this is a link in the chain. I'm going to pray a very special anointing on you a touch of the Holy Spirit to ignite something in you and to give you a vision, an inner vision of where this could be leading, where you can take the next couple of steps down the road, prepare yourself. And I'm praying it would be a level road, a straight road. Please, God, no boulders, no potholes. Not yet anyway. So you can 
get down the road and get your direction. And that's, this anointing will obliterate all fear, nervousness, and apprehension and give you an unembarrassed freedom, boldness. Boldness is not a loud, aggressive brashness. Boldness is unembarrassed freedom. You know who you are in Christ. You know who he is in you, and you've got confidence in that. And uh, you can get a picture of that little girl standing before that crowd of, what, 2,000 people there, opening her mouth and singing. Notice her breath control, like an opera singer holding those high notes. You've got to hold that breath here. I used to sing publicly, and I had a battle doing this, and keeping that, 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 those high notes. That kid's just a natural. Well, I'm praying that God's going to ignite talents within you. You didn't realize were there, and you're going to do stuff that'll stun you and stun a lot of others but it'll give you a platform. Because inevitably they will ask you, why? What have you got? Share Jesus. It might be just one chance. A door might close after that, but a bigger one will open. And there'll be people in that doorway listening to you who need Jesus. Don't back down. You've got nothing to lose. All right. Can I ask you to raise your hands up? And I want you to picture a waterfall, like a waterfall of the Holy Spirit, just cascading gently all over you. And picture your life with your upturned hands like a, a vessel, just receiving it. And it's starting to fill and the water level rising and rising and rising and rising and then starting to overflow and splash out. Now, if you can do that, I'm not saying make it a ritual every day, but every now and again, do that in your devotional time. Just stand or sit before the Lord with your hands raised and just, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Picture that waterfall and imagine yourself just drinking and soaking it up and top up and overflow again. I do this regularly. Now, a lot of times I don't feel anything, but I see the results from doing that. And I know it's him. I'm going to pray for you and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But you just do that. Just rest in the Holy Spirit. Let him fill you. Nothing violent. Don't strain. Just let him fill you. Holy Spirit, you see these delightful people, these wonderful people, sincere, honest with you, wanting to serve you, give you their best. And Lord, I know you're receiving this. There's some doing it with a little bit of apprehension. doesn't matter, Lord. Give you half a chance, you'll take it. So fill everybody here. Fill them up and overflow. And as you're filling them, heal them. Heal them in their minds, their bodies, their souls their thought processes, any weakness, strengthen and heal it. And they'll see that wholeness in time to come. Holy Spirit, you are the one who raised Christ's dead body back to life. Operate your resurrection power in each one here tonight as you're filling them. Start reviving, strengthening and healing. And then overflow. Start overflowing, opening the way ahead, shining a spotlight on the way ahead. Show them where to move. And touch others as they are overflowing with you. And give them opportunity to share Christ. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to reveal talents. Ignite them. Hold them up and say, come on, this is yours. I gave it to you. Use it. And surprise them, Lord, with other talents that you caused to emerge that they didn't know were there. Lord, I ask you to do it for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. That multitudes will come in in respect of Jesus and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, and that there will be multitudes more in heaven and a lot less going to hell as a result of what's happening here tonight. Now, please pray this prayer with me.
Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so glad I'm your child. And I'm so grateful Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I love having the Holy Spirit in my life. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Flow into every part of my being. Renew and strengthen and ignite. And set me on fire for Jesus. That others in the darkness will see that light and come to it. Use me in your service. And keep me on track for the rest of my days in Jesus' name. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Something momentous is happening here tonight. Not just generally, but in everyone specifically. I think you're going to point back to what you've done in partnership with the Holy Spirit this evening for many years to come. Wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Why don't you just quietly say thank you to him? Just say thank you. Just express your gratitude for having this offer from God and you availing yourself to him. Because, I mean, this is awesome, stupendous, that the Almighty Creator invites us to partner with him in like this. Wonderful. What I suggest that you do, keep a little notebook on your person, especially when you're reflecting on these things, having your devotional time, and the things he shows you, write down. Write them down. Incorporate your prayers around them. And uh, I guarantee you, if you look back in about three, four weeks, you'll see a pattern emerging of what he's revealing to you. Keep writing stuff down, because you could forget it. And you'll see the Lord refer back to that thing and this thing. Come on, implement that now. That's been happening in you very often. That's for you to use in this way. I'll tell you what, those little notebooks could form the basis of a series of books you'll write further down the road to help others get out of the starting blocks and run their race. I have a pile, a drawer full of little notebooks like that. I'll give away my commentaries before I give away those notebooks. <laughs> Why don't you turn to somebody next year, give them a big hug and co of congratulations. Go on. <clears throat> Folks, I love you. Thank you for your friendship. God bless you. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.